Hello. Just wanted to say that today's episode has some graphic descriptions of sex that some listeners might find upsetting. Welcome back to another episode of Life of Bi, a slippery history of bisexuality. She's Elle Potter. And she's Mary Higgins. Speaking of which, this episode is about scary lesbians, <laughs> which Mary was when I first met her. That song you just heard was a 1977 recording of Leaping Lesbians performed by Meg Christian. They're creeping up the stairs. They're hiding in your closet. Ah! We're jumping from the censorship of Japanese erotica during American occupation after World War II all the way to the lesbian sex wars in the 70s and 80s. That's right, the lesbian sex wars. George Lucas, eat your heart out. The lesbian sex wars was a lesbian feminist campaign to censor pornography in the United States. So... When you hear people saying, you know, oh, I don't call myself a feminist because feminists are bra-burning, man-hating lesbians, they're about 50 years off the mark, but that genuinely was a bit of a vibe at the time. Back then, being a lesbian was a political stance. It was a way of life. If you're a lesbian, you're a feminist. If you're a feminist, you were a lesbian. And you didn't ever sleep with men. Of course, it's equal equal rights. Equal rights to have a job, to have respect, to not be viewed as a piece of meat. Equal rights to... Any woman who takes part in a heterosexual couple helps to shore up male supremacy by making its foundation stronger. Unsurprisingly, these lesbian separatists didn't much like bisexuals. Who does? <laughs> There's actually a lot of riled up lesbian press, actually furious press about bisexuality flying around during this period. Bisexuals were generally believed to be anti-feminist, deluded and labouring under false consciousness. There's some fantastic examples of this in The Advocate, which is an LGBT magazine founded in 1967. And it's actually still going today. But at the time, they didn't include the B or the T. We found an article written in 1986 by Harriet Lane called Yes, I'm Still a Lesbian, Even Though I Love a Man. In her article... 
Lane said that she would like to think the definition of lesbian is not so constrained that it excludes sleeping with men. An interesting suggestion. Yeah, well, it, you know, it would be progressive if it wasn't rooted in biphobia. Mm. Lane's article was met with general outrage, almost solely from the lesbian community, who wanted to excommunicate Lane for sleeping with the enemy. One leaping lesbian wrote in to inform Lane that actually she was, quote, at least during the act, a heterosexual, not a lesbian. (laughs) Which is accidentally an incredibly radical statement about the relationship between queerness and time. (laughs) I guess to be a true bisexual, we should be constantly having sex with every gender. Oh my God, don't you? Oh, I forgot. I'm having sex right now. <laughs> That's better, L. <laughs> in response to another article about another lesbian sleeping with another man, and yet they didn't get the point, did they? A reader wrote in and accused the writer of, quote, polluting and diluting the very essence of lesbianism. Yet another article claimed that the bisexual woman, get this, is in fact the only woman who consciously chooses heterosexuality wow. because she is the only woman who ever lives a heterosexual life with the full knowledge of the other option. Wow. The bisexual woman <laughs> is, therefore, the only true heterosexual. But <laughs> It's just incredible, the mental gymnastics that goes into erasing bisexuality. Like, it's impressive. I'm always, I almost feel like saying, fine. <laughs> We're not here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we ever bothered you. Yeah, well, thankfully, some bisexuals, you know, fought for their right to be bi. They didn't go home and give up. And one of those warriors was Patrick Califia. What I was repeatedly told was that the straight people, straight people considered bisexuals entertaining. They were a pornographic feature of male fantasy. And then gay people resented bisexual folks enormously and thought that they were straight-acting hypocrites who uh, hadn't come out yet and weren't brave enough to come out. Patrick was the first regular contributor to The Advocate to embrace bisexuality as an actual thing and to focus an article on it. Nowadays, Patrick identifies as a bisexual trans man, But back then, Patrick had been, along with many others, identifying as a lesbian while secretly sleeping with men on the side. So I I called myself bisexual for a while, but what I found out was that there were no bars I could go to, I couldn't pick anybody up, nobody would kiss me, and so given that I was queer-identified, I stuck with the label lesbian for quite a long time. But while I was doing that, I was also having sex with men and getting into all kinds of trouble for that. When he wasn't writing for radical queer publications, Patrick was writing erotic fiction, poetry and non-fiction with a focus on queer sexuality and BDSM. In fact, in 1978, Patrick actually co-founded Samoir, the first lesbian feminist BDSM group in the United States. Which I think is legendary. It is. But Patrick's work often made him quite unpopular. In fact, he was forced to fight a literal court case against Canadian border forces to stop them seizing his book, Macho Sluts, at the US border. Honestly, find me a better book title (laughs) than Macho Sluts. We interviewed Patrick on Zoom from his home in Portland, Oregon. It was 10pm where he was, and he talked to us while lying on his bed 
and stroking his cat. Like a Bond film with an extremely charismatic villain. And I, I apologize for kind of popping up and laying down. I've got fibromyalgia and I'm having a bad day today. So I'm kind of um, trying to get comfortable and it's not really working. Oh, that's fine. It's, it's very, it's like the antithesis to all other Zoom calls, but I think it should happen more often. <laughs> it makes everyone feel very comfortable and intimate. Born in 1954, Patrick was raised as a Mormon in Utah. While attending university there in the early 70s, Patrick would go looking for lesbians in town. And I rapidly acquired a terrible reputation in the Salt Lake City community because I liked to go to the bar and pick up butches and take them home and give them their first joint and then take them to bed and fuck them. But according to Patrick, the lesbian sex back then wasn't the wildest. The first or second time I went to a, a dark bar, the only dark bar in Salt Lake City at the time, which was called Perky's, um, an older woman who was a little bit drunk cornered me and said, you're just a kid, so I better tell you something, and that's if you go home with any of these girls here, you go in the bathroom and you look in their medicine cabinet before you get in bed with them and see if there is mouthwash in their bathroom cabinet. And I said, okay, why? Because... If they have mouthwash, they are doing oral sex, and that is disgusting. We, I think it's fair to say, we, we were completely perplexed by this. Yeah. I had absolutely no idea. Like a world with no oral sex <gasps> in it. It just doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, and I thought the 60s and 70s were all like Stonewall and breaking down the taboos of old. Yeah, and like, whoa, man, peace and love. Yeah, but Patrick, <laughs> our live correspondent from that time, reports that sexual taboos still haunted the lesbian clubs in 70s Utah. No toys were allowed, no fantasizing, no dirty talking. You basically got... Tributism was the only uh, legitimate form of lovemaking in the community at that time. What did you say? You don't even know Tri what that means, do you? Tribidism. I think, is it like <laughs> tribbing? It, it means rubbing your genitals against your partner's pubic mound or their thigh. I mean, I just, I thought it was a very limited repertoire yeah. given all the parts and pieces of the human body but it, it would still be another five or six years before I actually found out what clips were and where they were. It's funny because these days, tribbing or like scissoring is seen as quite a male gratifying pose. Yes. You see it all over porn websites. But it just wasn't the case back then. Yeah, well, it's almost purist, isn't it? Like lesbianism at that time was so tied up with the women's liberation movement mm. that lesbian sex has to fall in line with what people understand to uh -huh. be like feminist sex, which means... You've got to avoid any of the power dynamics created by things like, you know, dirty talk and <laughs> whipping and fisting and, God forbid, fucking men. Yeah, but famously, Patrick likes dirty talk oh, yeah. and whipping and fisting <laughs> and, and <men>. God forbid, <laughs> men. He wanted to be free to fuck how and who he liked. Last March, Ed Bradley reported that in one large Midwestern city, Feminists had actually convinced the city council 
that they should have that right. They said pornography was an abuse against women. Fuck. <laughs> and a violation of their civil rights. Arguing against them were defenders of free speech, who said, oh. no matter how offensive pornography may be, Fuck. banning it would be offensive to the Constitution. What they have done is to create a perception in the public mind that the rights of the pornographers are the rights of everyone. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And that if anyone puts any restriction on any pimp in America, oh. American democracy is injured. And what we're saying is women aren't included in this oh. beautiful vision of American democracy and we don't buy it. <laughs> no. We're not, not at all. first of all, in a position, I think, to suggest the answer. That's not our role. Our role is to <laughs> be objective as scientists. Objectivity, as I understand it, means <sighs> that it doesn't happen to you. I mean, I really did feel like liberating women's sexuality was a really big part of feminism and that if women were going to be people in their own right and not simply exist to make men's lives easier, then women needed sexual autonomy and independence. By Patrick's logic, a women's liberation movement that condemns some kinds of sex in favour of purer kinds of sex, that's not really liberating. That's just another kind of cage. And I also think that for me, SM is, uh, is really, um, almost a sexual orientation. That it's, it's something that is so much a part of who I am, um, that if, if that's not available, if that's not accessible, then I, I don't think I have much scope for uh, sexual expression in the world. The thing about SM, sadomasochism, is that it plays with hierarchy, right? But many lesbian feminists at that time felt that that mimicked a patriarchal hierarchy. Yeah, so the question then is whether playing with hierarchies and sex can ever be free from patriarchy and whether submission is ever actually voluntary. Because a radical lesbian would say that women are conditioned to be submissive. And so even if you are consenting to it, it's not free choice. Every year, millions and millions of pictures are made of women with our legs spread. We're called beaver. We're called pussy. Our genitals are tied up. They're pasted. Makeup is put on them to make them pop out of a page at a male viewer. Millions and millions of pictures are made of us in postures of submission and sexual access so that our vaginas are exposed for penetration, our anuses are exposed for penetration, our throats are used as if they're genitals for penetration. That was Andrea Dworkin testifying before the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography in 1986. All of what Dworkin says is true. It just depends on whether or not you see it as something that women are subjected to or something they can claim as their own sexuality. So, like, trafficking women is obviously abhorrent and criminal, but can that be equated to a highly paid porn star spreading her legs for Playboy? And there are those who say it is a form of freedom. Certainly it is freedom for those who do it. 
Certainly it is freedom for those who use it as entertainment, but we are asked, also asked to believe that it is freedom for those to whom it is done. Dworkin spent her life fighting people like Patrick, people who believed that sex and porn could be violent and painful without being abusive. In 1987, she published Intercourse, a book that argued that all sex between men and women is degrading to women. Some critics said that Dworkin's book basically argued that all sex is rape. So under Dworkin's ideology, heterosexuality, bisexuality and BDSM, they all invite subjugation. The only way up is lesbianism. Interestingly, Dworkin was actually married to a man, though he called himself gay and she called herself a lesbian, which just goes to show that pure ideology doesn't always fit snugly alongside, you know, like, life. Yeah, or love. (laughs) Like, love is nuanced. One of the things that interests me about the kink communities is that I actually think the bisexual behavior is more common in um, in kink communities than it is in more vanilla realms. Um, partly because you have something other than gender to get excited about. But by the 1990s, the dawn of the internet changed the face of pornography forever. And for Patrick, it created a new zone and language for sexual expression because it freed people from thinking along gendered lines. The BDSM community flourished on the internet because, as Patrick says in an interview with Technodyke, online it is possible to take on any persona. You could be any gender. We'd tell you to go check out technodyke.com, but unfortunately... It's gone. It's just completely gone. Yeah, we went back to find a date for that interview so we could tell you, but the site no longer exists. (laughs) Terrible shame, terrible timing. But luckily, there's always a new place online for a spot of kinky conversation. Anonymous kinky conversation. You know, if you are a person who really likes, uh, what's a good example? Maybe you really like military fantasies. And so, for you, the thing that gets you excited is the uniform, it's the protocol, it's whatever aspect of military life you find exciting. So, if you run into somebody who's the quote-unquote wrong gender, that they have, they got all that stuff, and they know it, and they love it, then, you know, you might be in a situation where you're like, well, I'm going to try it and it may work out very well. When Patrick said that, it reminded me of what Marjorie Garber calls the bisexual mobility of fantasy. Yeah. Which is this idea that when we fantasize, we're imagining ourselves in every position as every gender. So bisexual in that sense, we switch between the fucked and the fucker. Yes. Yeah, so when you watch porn, you're sort of imagining yourself as everyone, mm. like doing everything. So in a sense, like you're, you know, we all do role play. It's not just for BDSM communities Mm. or like switching up because you're bisexual. It's an innate part of sexual fantasy. And with fantasy comes the potential for profound transformation. For me, I think my favorite thing is that somebody comes to me and says, I need to move some energy around. I'm really blocked right now. Or I'm making this big change in my life. I need to write a passage. And then we can combine the play with ritual. Patrick started out his SM journey being the one on the floor. 
the one tied up. But one day, while playing with his dom partner... At a certain point, I just rose up from the floor and took the riding crop away from my date and said, this will go a lot better if you get on the floor. So now, Patrick prefers topping. In fact, topping, to him, is almost spiritual. Okay, this is going to sound very California, so bear with me. But I feel like what what I really need is a, some kind of empathic connection with the person that I'm topping. And if if I get excited as they get excited, then it's like the shamanic drum that is beaten to take you to the other world. The bottom becomes as much an instrument for my transformation as I am an instrument for theirs. In a way, it would be ludicrous for someone as sexually radical as Patrick to be picky about the gender of his play partners. He's connecting with a person, not a gender. Yeah, like if transformation is the name of the game, then why would it matter where you started? Yeah, and and Patrick doesn't just hope to transform the people he's topping. He transforms the readers of his work too. Like, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, Patrick won over lots of anti-SM radical feminists with his erotic fiction because, and I quote, they read Caliphia's SM fantasies, got turned on, and got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Iconic. I think that, that being a sex radical means that you are always kind of walking yourself up to the edge of your own discomfort or other judgments like fear or disgust, and that it's kind of uh, on your shoulders to look at that and go, well, what is this about? I mean, is this activity really damaging? Is it really bad for people? Is it just not my taste? Is it that I haven't tried it and I'm afraid I would like it? What is going on? In a sense, BDSM plays with two kinds of bondage. One is the rope binding your hands together. The other is in your mind. Some bondage is psychological. I used to like to tie people up with sewing thread, and then I would just say, if the thread snaps, this is over. Wow. You know, instead of thrashing around and yanking on everything and going crazy, People are, like, holding very, very still. Did you hear my nervous breath there? (laughs) (laughs) I was very excited. It was fucking hot. (laughs) It's also just, like, an incredibly evocative image, right? Because it's, like, the bondage that you hold yourself in, your fears and your shame that restrain you from discovering your whole sexual self, they're just threads, and threads can snap. Welcome back from the break, guys. We're thinking about shame. <laughs> oh, sh- shame on y'all. Shame on you. <laughs> that was Samantha again. We just told her that we we're both in long-term relationships with men. Her reaction was sort of shocking, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> because Samantha herself is a reluctant bisexual. I call myself gay all the time, but like, I still resentfully fuck men sometimes. So I guess that's what bi is. Bisexual TikTok would say the same. This is where we've arrived, guys. Mm. This is where we are now. In an era of fourth wave feminism and rose quartz dildos, why would any self-respecting woman continue to fuck cis men? To demonstrate our point, 
Here's comedian Rose Matafeo with her show Horn Dog on BBC iPlayer. Oh, for copyright reasons, we're not allowed. So I'm going to do my best impression of Rose Matafeo. <laughs> sorry, Rose. <laughs> I am so sorry. My male friends are like, Rose, it's a, it's a tough time to be a decent man. Do you know what's a little bit harder? It's trying to be a straight woman at a time like this, given what we know about you now, OK? And the only accurate way I've come to describing what it feels like to be a straight woman at times like these is that it almost feels like trying to recommend a restaurant that has given you food poisoning eight times, OK? Now, I don't know if we've made this clear, but we're not straight women. You got that? <laughs> the point is, the pop culture Instagram feminism now, in its most flippant form, can be summarised in the colloquial expression, "Ugh, man. Which, as a political stance, has its roots in the radical 80s lesbian expression, "Ah, men! <laughs> so you can see how this historical exhaustion with men becomes transferred onto bisexuals by lesbians. Because they're going, like, but babe, like... You've seen the light. Why are you still going to hell to get your rocks off? And if you think we're spouting bollocks, turn off the podcast. Our claims are backed up by the extensive research of the sociologist Paula C. Rust, who undertook a huge project for her 1990s book, Bisexuality and the Challenge to Lesbian Politics. She interviewed over 400 lesbians and bisexuals to examine the often hostile relationship between them. If scary lesbians turn you on... My God, this is the book for you. Here are some spooky statistics. 90% of lesbians would prefer to date another lesbian rather than a bisexual. 84% of lesbians preferred their friends to be lesbian rather than bisexual. 61% stated that bisexuals are less committed to other women than lesbians, and 53% stated that bisexuals are less trustworthy than lesbians. 83% agreed that some women claim to be bisexuals, when they are really lesbians who are afraid to admit it. Think those stats are out of date? Well, they're not really. In a more recent study in 2018 by the journal Psychology of Sexual Orientation and Gender Study, the results were basically the same, mm. but this time the study also looked at gay men's perception of bisexual men and it was still the case that lesbian women had more trouble with bisexual women than gay men had with bisexual men. Yeah, they are. They hold us with much more suspicion mm. and there are so many reasons for that. Like looking at the testimonies in Paula Rust's book, lots of lesbians thought that bisexuals would like run off with men yeah. or would cheat on you. So there you can see the birth of this stereotype that bisexuals are all promiscuous stars. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's rooted in internalized misogyny, like mm. because because the reason that suspicion is more powerful between lesbians and bisexual women is partly because there's the assumption that if you have attraction to men at all, you're just going to lean towards that. Yeah, you'll just accidentally slip back into heteronormativity. Yeah, like it's like it's a more powerful attraction than towards women. Well, it's just like that gravity image that we talked about in episode three, the slide, like. I think it's called the androcentric desire hypothesis, which is this idea that <laughs> women, bisexual women, are um, straight people. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> and bisexual men are gay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it all just leans towards the men. <laughs> the dangerous thing about these attitudes, though, we're joking, but the dangerous thing about them is that they are like... 
they're like poison in the water. Like you feel them. You can be a bisexual now and know all these negative things about yourself mm. without knowing where the fuck it comes from unless you look into the history. So you don't actually inherit it as a prejudice. You inherit it as a fact yes. about yourself. Yes, like I feel nervous telling lesbians that I have a boyfriend, especially lesbians who know me because I'm queer. Yes. Not even necessarily from the things they say to me or even an unspoken air of disapproval coming from them. It's it's almost as if the judgment is self-created. Like <laughs> I'm predicting their judgment before it even happens. Yeah, and sometimes the fact that they don't respond with complete derision yes. makes you feel even more insane. Yes. <laughs> it's like... Where does this come from in me? <laughs> it's just, but, but unless unless you know that those feelings are internalized by phobia, someone's put them there. You just, you just, you're not going to be able to dismantle them. Yeah, and then you meet people like Patrick, and you realize that there were literally people decades and decades ago fighting for our right to fuck whoever and however we want. Yeah, and it's not even just that. Not it's not even just like fucking who and how you want. It's also like, can you still? do that when people challenge you on it or make you feel ashamed mm. about it because the thing what I began thinking on TikTok was like I think a lot of young bisexuals sort of accept shame as part of their pride it is like it's the reason I was getting so het up about the man-hating mm. thing I think is because it's like it's, it's actually very corrosive to accept a sort of self-disgust of a part of your sexuality and then make that sort of light and frothy mm. like <sighs> You know, Patrick was raised as a Mormon and he he received, he would have been told that everything about his sexuality was like wrong, wrong. and abhorrent. And he learned to just like push everything like that away. Yes. And to not accept any shameful feeling yeah, that and other it, people it, try to breed in you. Yeah, It just means he never accommodates for anyone, even if that means he upsets people along the way. I can't claim that I enjoy upsetting uh well that's not true i do i do enjoy i i feel like if people can't read my my work and understand the appeal to reason the simultaneous appeals i'm making to reason and eros and they are armored against my persuasion then fuck them. Yeah, I'll upset them because they're stupid. See, for me, Patrick will always be more radical than Dworkin because Dworkin's idea of sexual freedom rejects Patrick's ideal way of having sex. But Patrick's idea of sexual freedom doesn't reject Dworkin's way of having sex, even though he disagrees with her politics. Mm. So it's like just by having sex with exactly who you want and how you want mm -hmm. consensually, that is radical. And it doesn't matter what it looks like to anybody else. Before we leave you, here's Patrick one more time. Okay, so when you grow up like I did in a, in a world where sex is never talked about, uh, so much so that my mother, who had had six children, wasn't able to say the word intercourse or penis or vagina to me, um... I think that what you learn about sexuality is that it is the thing not talked about, this very important component of human experience that is shielded from view. And so you almost learn to pick it up like a, like a flicker in your peripheral vision. And then you know, aha, there's something there. Nobody talks about it. Nobody admits it there, but it's there. 
And so through um, fantasy, through the honesty of specific negotiation and communication, uh, I can be in a world where the rules are different and there's no such thing as oppression. And that's, that's kept me alive. Next time on Life of Bi. In what could be the largest rally in U.S. history, hundreds of thousands of lesbian and gays march on the nation's capital demanding equal rights for all. Please welcome Lani Ka'ahumanu. Aloha! Are we visible yet? Are bisexuals organized yet? Well, come on. You guys, you know, you think you have sex with a man and all of a sudden you're all your woman identity and your feminism and everything. You spring a leak. I just want to say... And it ain't over till the bisexual space. <laughs>